Okay, so uh, just for a second, we're going to review. In the Lord's Prayer, we are now on um, Matthew 6, 13, but just to back up. And I did this on purpose because sometimes I get so focused on the verse that I am, I lose the perspective of the whole thing. And uh, so I just want to remind you of some truths. Oswald Chambers says, prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. Um, A definition of prayer by Merrill Tenney is prayer then is the expression of the complete fellowship between God and man in Christ. We may communicate with the living God, finite and simple though we are, because he has reached out through Jesus Christ to redeem us. To answer that creative and loving call of God with the response of love, that is prayer. That is the destiny for which man was created. And this call is the foundation of his being. Um, Oswald Chabos again said, the point of prayer is not to get answers from God, but to have perfect and complete oneness with him. Um, Prayer changes things, R.C. Sproul says. But most of all, it changes me. (laughs) So my favorite saying is actually one that I came up with, um, and that is prayer is a way of life. But more than that, prayer is the way to life in Christ. Um, And if you remember my picture last week, if you were here, I had my big pipe. And that is we are tethered to God in prayer. Um, And if we let sin block that, then we become ineffective because he can't work through us. But when when that pipe is clear and we are in fellowship, we have, the Bible says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That, that, if that pipe's clear, we are, we have moved from women with small needs and small problems to mighty women of God who can bring heaven down through prayer because it's really not about us, ladies. It's about him. So, okay, so with that in mind, let's turn to Matthew 6, 13. And we are going to cover and lead us not into temptation. We're going to take next week off for spring break. And the following week, we're going to actually hit but deliver us from evil. Now this is written almost like a parallel statement, so they're very similar, but I really want to, because I feel like in our world today, um, even though we are so spiritual in so many different ways, um, you know, um, we sometimes forget that the devil's out there, he's a roaring lion, he is seeking to do some bad things to us, the church, our leaders, and, uh, and we are commissioned many times in the scriptures to be in prayer about that. So we're going to talk about that when we get back from spring break. So everyone turn to your watering can picture, because that's where we are. And it says, lead us not into temptation. God in this picture is my guide. And I'm going to move there very quickly. He's really our shepherd. Um, And I am a pilgrim or a sheep. (laughs) And my prayer becomes one of humility. Um, Bunyan said, prayer will keep sin out or sin 
we'll keep prayer out. Um, let me tell you, uh, one of my commentators, Brown, writes in this transition, it says, and lead us not in temptation. He who honestly seeks and has the assurance of forgiveness for past sin, that was last week, will strive to avoid committing it in the future. But conscious that when we do good, evil is present in us, we are taught to offer this sixth petition, which comes naturally close upon the preceding and flows indeed instinctively from it in the hearts of all earnest Christians. So last week we talked about forgive us our debts as we forgive those who, who, who trespass against us. We're right into that. Now that we're so conscious of sin, we've confessed our sin, we're moving now into, and let's not do this again, okay? Because remember, this, is a, this prayer is, has the elements um, of, of all great prayers, and confession being one of them. Um, but it also encapsulates the present, the, fu- the past, and the future. In Give Us This Day Our Daily Bread, it's talking about all of our present needs, which you guys share and pray for. Last week we talked about forgive us our sins. That's our past. And now we're moving on to the future. And it says, lead us not into temptation. Okay, so that's where we are. And um, so let's, let me quote John MacArthur. He says, this represents the heart's desire to avoid the danger and trouble that sin creates. It is an expression of the redeemed soul that so despises and fears sin that it wants to escape all prospects of falling into it. Um, <clears throat> the Greek word for lead us is episero, and it means to bring into or lead into. And I have to tell you, the best illustration of this was Robbie's illustration. If you were here a couple of Wednesday nights ago, he talked about how, and he had this big PowerPoint presentation, so you have to imagine it. <laughs> Um, and he had this beautiful path in, in this wooded area. And, and he's talking about, as a youth leader, you know, he's saying, okay, so here's the, here's the path of righteousness, say, okay? And all around you see the woods. And he says, let me just tell you, with the kids, their perspective is that, you know, all of their parents are telling them, stay on the path, stay on the path, stay on the path, you know? And so that's what they're getting, Okay. And um, so, so they, but let me just tell you, all kids, all humans, <laughs> let's just be honest, we want to, we want the freedom to go off the path. From a kid's perspective, the path is just way too confining. There's something in our nature that wants to stray. Um, Isaiah captured it the best when he said in Isaiah 59, 6, we, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned each one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So, however, if we look at this path with the woods from another perspective, we get a whole different picture. Suppose we see instead of, because in his picture he put barricades, and he said, you know, the commandments of God are kind of like, um, you know, they keep us on the path. And so, and of course, because, you know, <laughs> you draw a line in the sand and every two-year-old that I know is going to cross it, right? <laughs> That's human nature. K- 
kids and us, we see those as keeping us in. And um, God, in his sovereignty, sees it as keeping us safe. Um, so it's a whole different perspective. So what we perceive are gates to keep us in are really fences to keep danger out. And in the beautiful pathway, what is, shown, what is not shown are the cliffs and the gorges just right outside that path, which present real dangers to the wanderer. Not shown also are the quicksand and the wild animals that, lurk, animals that lurk off the path waiting for the unwary traveler. So when we ask our father to lead us, a pisaro, we immediately jump, have to jump to the picture of the good shepherd because he speaks so clearly about leading us. So we're going to talk for just a second about lead us, and then we're going to talk about the temptation part. So lead us, let's back that up with some scripture. Um, and I want you to realize that, again, in this path, you know, this is the path to life. And he has every place, everything that we need, every good thing, is in this path. Um, but why is it that we are so apt to stray? I do not know. But honestly, the best uh, passage is this from this, and you probably know it by heart, is Psalm 23, 1 through 4. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Let me just tell you, as soon as I started saying that, I saw every one of you guys take a deep breath and relax. There is something so idyllic about seeing our shepherd and being a sheep. Why do we fight against this so much, I wonder? But anyway, um, Isaiah 40, verse 11 says, He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs into his arms, and he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that have young. Um, John, Jesus picks up on this same theme in John chapter 10, 14 through 16, and you know this passage, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as my father knows me, and I know the father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have sheep that are not of this fold. Guess who that is? That would be us. Not the Jewish people, us, the Gentiles. I must bring them also in, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. And 1 Peter 2, 21 through 25 says, For you, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. Why? so that you may follow in his steps. That's code for leading. <laughs> and leaning, staying close, okay? He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were, here's my point, 
straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So we know that our good shepherd, in that beautiful picture that Robbie had, he's the good shepherd and he's leading us on the right path. And here's the cool part about it. In John 14, 6, he actually is the path. <laughs> he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. So that is the beautiful picture of the lead us. Now let's get to the kind of, that's like the good news and here's the bad news, the temptation part, okay? But lead us not into temptation. Temptation is a Greek word called perismos, and it means to putting to, a putting to proof by experiment of good or experience of evil can be solicitation, discipline, or provocation. Uh, and by implication, it could mean adversary. Now, ad adversary. So let me just say that this is a, a conundrum. This word is kind of a hard word because it is, we want to think, when we say the English word temptation, that means like very much an evil thing. Um, but in the Greek, this word is also translated trials. In fact, in James 1, 2 and 3, it says, consider it joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, that word, knowing that the testing trials, that word, of your faith produces endurance, okay? So that is, so it's not necessarily in Greek a bad thing and the context determines it, okay? So um, John MacArthur says um, that it's basically a neutral word in Greek having no necessary connotation for good or evil. Um, the root meaning has to do with testing or proving and the form of that meaning is, derived, uh, is derived from uh, trials and temptation. Because in Jesus' prayer here, where he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Those are two thoughts. So in this context, temptation is a bad thing, okay? Just let me give you that, because it is a parallel term to evil in the second half of that prayer. So, um, okay, so Ryrie translated, translates uh, uh, lead us on to temptation, temptation being a test, try, prove, or solicit to evil. Unger records, temptation is generally understood as the enticement of a person to commit sin by offering some seeming advantage. Um, R.C. Sproul writes, um, a superficial reading of this petition in the Lord's Prayer should jar our sensibilities to some degree because nothing could be further from the realm of possibility that God would entice anyone to sin. In fact, we know James teaches us in James 1.13, let no one say he's when he is tempted, he is tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. So James goes on to explain that enticement and temptation to sin arise from within, from our own evil inclinations and desires. External temptations can come into us from fellow sinners who want misery in, com com in company or from Satan himself, who is known in the Bible as the tempter. But God himself does not engage in temptation to sin 
How then are we to understand this petition, R.C. says? Well, the force of the language does not have to do with God's enticing us to sin. A better wording might be, do not lead us into the place of testing. Um, Jesus is saying that we should pray that the Father will never cause us to undergo a severe test of our faith or our obedience. God, however, sometimes deems it best for his children to go through testing. For this reason, we see examples in Scripture of God delivering someone who is to be tested to go through trials in order to purify that person's faith and refine his or her righteousness. And we see these examples in Abraham, Adam and Eve, who failed the test. Job passed the test. Jesus, way past the test. <laughs> Set the curve. <laughs> so my translation in this is, as Jesus as a shepherd, it's kind of like lead us around that temptation. Like we know it's there, but I don't want to trust myself to get anywhere close to it. So lead me, if I follow in your steps, you're going to lead me around, away from that temptation. So France writes, while God does not tempt men to do evil, we know he does allow his children to pass through periods of testing. But disciples, aware of their weakness, should not desire such testing and should pray to be spared exposure from such situations in which they are vulnerable. I think this is huge, ladies. And I, I was just telling our group before this, it says, it says lead us. Not So, I mean, this is a prayer that Jesus is teaching, and he says that we are to pray, lead us not. And let me just tell you, so it's just not you that you should be worried about temptation. We should be praying that for our ministers. We should be praying that, oh, my gosh, for our congressmen. Wouldn't that be nice? We should be praying that for everyone because there is power in prayer, and we are to be cooperatively and corporately Praying, lead us not into temptation. So, okay, so let me just say, temptation is not wrong in itself. The wise person does not deny he was tempted. Rather, he looks for weak areas to guard against his coming temptation. Now, let me just say, I don't know if you know this, you might think not think this is relevant, but Cape Cod chips are BOGO this week. I'm not lying to you. Talk about, talk about temptation, okay? I'm just saying they're BOGO this week. Um, I'm going to get back to that. Just hang on to that. Um, so Hebrews, Hebrews 4.15 says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So in Jesus, temptation is not a sin. It's what you do with that is a sin. It could be or could not be, okay? So what are the sources of temptation? Well, they happen to be our three enemies. And you might say, oh, that's my mean, ugly neighbor. Oh, no, 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 because we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We wrestle against powers, the principalities. So the first source of our temptation... I should say, well, I could do it backwards, but I'm going to do it the way I wrote it. Uh, number one, Satan is a source of temptation. He is known as the tempter. If you back up of one cha two chapters, Matthew 4, 1 through 11, just 
If you want to read that interesting thing, it was the Holy Spirit that led Jesus into the desert to be tempted. Just saying, that happens. Okay. But Ephesians 6, 11, and 12, it says, put on the whole armor of God. Why? So that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. So there is an unseen realm, and we are at war with it. We're going to talk way more about that after spring break. So the first uh, source of temptation is Satan. The second one is the world. Uh, 1 John 2, 15 through 17 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the sinful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world and the world is passing along away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Okay? And then the third thing that we have is the flesh. That's the enemy within. See, when Adam sinned, we all have a sin nature. Thank you so much, Adam and also Eve. <laughs> Thank you for that little gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> and let me just tell you, we will struggle with this until we get our glorified bodies. But when we get our glorified bodies, that's the end of our salvation. See, the beginning is justification. Jeff preached on justification, which is not just that I died. Justification is being declared righteous. That's God as the judge saying, Kay, uh, you look great. <laughs> that's justification. Then we have sanctification. That's him working on us. Um, I am confident of this very thing that you began a good work and you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. That's sanctification. And the third part of that is glorification. And that's when we get our new bodies that don't have the flesh. And that's what, ha oh, it's going to be glorious. Okay. I have put in a request that my new body be tall and have long, blonde, straight hair. Just saying, that's my request. I know that's very, very superficial, but that's me. Okay. So the flesh is a, is, a, is a temptation, and the flesh is a real temptation. Um, a lot of times we much rather blame Satan when we really should be blaming ourselves. I'm just saying. Let me just tell you, Paul goes on and on about describing this in Romans chapter 7. Uh, I'm going to read you some highlights, 15 and 18, and then 22 through 25, but the whole chapter is really about the struggle that Paul has and I mean, like, Paul was right up there, right? You know? And if he struggled with his flesh, I'm like, whoa. I think we're all, we can safely say we all struggle with ours. It says, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, and I do the very thing I hate. Does this sound familiar? <laughs> now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, and that is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but I do not have the ability to carry it out. Then he goes on, 22. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, 
But I see the members, another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So that is our, and, and let me just tell you, we wrestle with that, okay? And that is a source of temptation. Okay, so what is the process of temptation? I learned this, I'm telling you, I probably was in middle school, and you may have heard it too. It's LSD. You remember LSD? That was a psychedelic drug in the 70s for you youngsters, okay? Um, LSD, lust, sin, and death. That is the process of temptation. And it's given to us in James 1, 13 through 15, if you want to turn there. Listen carefully. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Okay? That we read that before. Here's the next part. But each one is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. That's lust. And then when that desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. So you have lust, sin, death. Almost always in that order. To, and I'm, you can just look through scripture and there's a bunch of examples, but I have two. So let me, because I, I like these two, well... I don't really like this one. This Cain. I don't really like him very much at all. Um, Cain, Cain in Genesis 4, 4 through 7. Listen to Cain and listen to this process. And Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and with their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, here's the part I want you to get. Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. That, let me just tell you, we have to realize that sin in many times is crouching at the door. But whose fault is this? It's not sin's fault. It's Cain's fault. He gets to choose. Okay, I'm going to give you another example of David. 2 Samuel 11, 1 through 4, and then verse 15. So I'm just going to summarize a little bit. When the, in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab. <laughs> so he didn't go out to battle. That was his first mistake. Um, and, and, and his servants with him and all of Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and they besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and he was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And this woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And this one said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. 
So here's David not doing what kings are supposed to be doing, which is going out to the battle, not leading the host. He's, he's reclining on his little chaise lounge up on his roof, and he sees Bathsheba. And so you see lust, and then you see sin. He takes her. He sleeps with her. Now, let me just say one thing about Uriah that you might not know. Uriah was one of David's mighty men. He was one of the guys that fought for him before it was cool to fight for David against Saul. He was the one that was in the cave when they, you know, cut the little piece of cloth off. This was a friend. And he took his wife. And the best story, one of the best stories in the Bible is when Nathan gets on to him about it. You have to read that for your own time. But anyway, so we have lust and then we have sin. And then where's the death part? Well, if we skip to verse 15, and in the letter he wrote, after David does all these machinations trying to get Uriah to sleep with Bathsheba because she's now pregnant, in the letter he wrote, send Uriah to the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him so he may be struck down and die. So you have it. David, the man after God's own heart. Fell. Fell. Lust, sin, death. Spurgeon writes, Satan tempts, God tries. But the same trial might both be a temptation and a trial. It may be a trial on God's side and a temptation from Satan's side. Just as Job suffered from Satan, remember that story, right? Also, God used that. He suffered from God through Satan, so it was a trial to him. So each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. God doesn't tempt us. Instead, temptation comes when we are drawn away by our own fleshly desires and enticed with the world and the devil providing lots and lots of, time, of enticement. Lots and lots. I mean, how many channels do we have on our TV right now? That is incredible, okay? How many places can you go on the internet? You can have it and see it all. Poole writes that the word for being uh, drawn away or lured is actually the, the correct literal word for a lure. It's used, uh, it's taken from fish enticed by a bait, drawn away. Or from a harlot drawing a young man out of the right way and alluring him with the bait of pleasure to commit folly with her. So, Satan certainly tempts. But the only reason temptation has a hook in us is because of our own fallen nature. So you got to realize we are at fault. Our, our fallen nature corrupts our God-given desires. Sometimes we give Satan too much credit for this, um, and we fail to recognize that we are drawn away by our own desires. Okay? So, let me just say, I brought today, you'll be so happy to know this, the solution for temptation. This solution, yeah, I, no problem. No, this is free of charge. So, this, this was given to me by my youth minister when I was probably 14, and I have kept it because it works, totally works. Um, so, you're probably wondering, oh, is she half right there? Um, let me just say that Jesus said, just in the chapter before our prayer, he said, you know, if your right eye causes you to sin, what does he say to do? Luck it out. Luck it out. Okay. I'm just saying, 
We, we, we're not to mess with temptation. And there's nothing to be gained from going, getting toe-to-toe with temptation. Um, sometimes people think that you're a better Christian if you go, here's the line of sin right here, and, and the closer I can get and not sin, that, my dear, is foolishness. Okay, that is foolishness. So the, the solution for temptation, what my, what my um, youth pastor gave us was... He said, run, run as far away and as fast as you can from any temptation. Run. Uh, he quoted the verse 2 Timothy 2, 22, flee youthly passions. Flee is that word fuege. We get the word fugitive. Free. It means flee, run, run as fast as you can. And pursue righteousness and a bunch of other things. And then it says something interesting, along with those who call upon the Lord from a pure heart. So here's the deal. You're not supposed to be running by yourself. This is a little track team. You get your, all of us need to be helping and encouraging one another to run from these temptations because we are calling upon the Lord with a pure heart. So do not get close to temptation. So here's the deal. My, my struggle with Cape Cod chips is not happening in my house. My struggle is happening in the supermarket. Because if I buy them, they're mine. <laughs> it used to be that I could buy them and leave them unopened, but that's no longer true. <laughs> so I can't even buy them. <laughs> I buy these kind that everyone likes but me. But <laughs> that works great. <laughs> so the thing is, is that, you know, and let's, if, if it's bothering you, I'm pretty sure Kathy just shared with us, I'm pretty sure that she does not have Oreos just, you know, at every place, you know, in her house, you know, hanging around, you know, just, just so that she can overcome temptation. <laughs> pretty sure that's not it. <laughs> so we have to be smart. Um, so the decision is never made at the refrigerator. It's made in the grocery store. And um, so we also have to say that this is what we are to do together, lead us. Because we are to, we are to be fleeing, running along, those, along with those who call upon the Lord from a pure heart. Okay, so there's a great promise for temptation. So you're, we're going to get there right now. The promise for temptation comes from 1 Corinthians 10.13. And it says, no temptation is overtaken you. That is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation will also provide a way of escape so that you may endure it. Now, David Guzik in his commentary of Corinthians writes, No temptation has overtaken you except that is common to man. We often want to excuse our particular tempting circumstance as very unique or a special exception. <laughs> but God reminds us <laughs> that our temptation is not unique. It's common to man. Many other women and men have faced the similar temptation and have found strength to overcome the temptation. Let me just say, when we try to talk about things and like, oh, that was just too hard, you know, we get that. I had so many parents in my office say, 
Well, the reason Johnny did that was because that person was being so mean, you know? Like, I should make an exception. Nobody, you are not, you are going to lose recess for a whole week. End of story, okay? Because it's not about Johnny, it's about you, okay? Because no temptation has overtaken you that isn't common to man. Okay, so others before you have found strength in the Lord to overcome this same temptation or worse. So you can be victorious, David says, in the strength of Jesus, not in your own strength. We fight temptation with Jesus's power. And he tells this little story. It's like the girl explained that when Satan came to the door with a temptation, okay, to the door of her heart, she would say, Oh, I just send Jesus to answer the door. And when Satan sees Jesus, he says, oops, sorry, I must have the wrong house. <laughs> Let me just say, there is a lot of beauty in that. Because if Satan can find a foothold, and like he looks, and he's got your attention, he's going to come back and back. But if you send Jesus to the door every time, I promise you, he is not going to keep tempting you. Because that's just solidifying your relationship with Christ. He'll find another thing to try to tempt you with. But I'm just saying, if we just go and just send Jesus to the door, then Satan says, oops, sorry, wrong house, and move along. Um, God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond you are able. Okay, now this is what I want you to hear. God has promised to supervise all the temptation that comes to you through the world, the flesh, and the devil. He's supervising. He promises to limit it according to your ability. So he tailor makes what is happening to you at this moment. According to our capability to endure it. And according to our capability as we rely on him, not on our capability if we rely on ourselves. Because we know in ourselves we're very, very weak. So... Satan would destroy us in a minute if God would let him. Like he wanted to Job, remember? But Job said, nope. I mean, God said, nope, you can only go this far. And then he said, eh, wine, wine, wine. He said, okay, you can go this far. Who's in charge here? God was in charge. Um, he promises, um, like a mom who keeps her child from the candy aisle in the store, Knowing the child couldn't handle that temptation, God keeps us from things that we can't handle. But what we can and can't handle can change over the years. But with the temptation, will, he will also pro provide a way of escape. God has promised to not only limit our temptation, but also to provide a, a way of escape in tempting times. So when you are in temptation, ladies... You should, here's what you should be doing. You should be, doing, okay, where is that little escape? Where, where's the escape pod? You know, I'm in, I'm in the starship and it's being destroyed. Like, where's the escape pod? I need to find the escape pod, okay? Because he has provided a way of escape. We got to start looking for it though, okay? Um, it's interesting, uh, one of my commentators says, he will never force us to use the way of escape but he will make the way of escape available. It's up to us to take God's way of escape. William Barclay says the word for the way of escape is really a mountain pass with the an idea 
of an army being surrounded by an enemy and then suddenly seeing an escape route to safety. Like a mountain pass, the way of escape might not be easy, but there's a way of escape. The way of escape does not lead us to a place where we escape all temptation. Wouldn't that be nice? That's what we call heaven. Okay? (laughs) No temptation. The way of escape leads us to the place where we will be able to bear it. Now, notice in this, are we talking about any kind of enjoyment? This is stuff, this is hard stuff. Jesus says, lead us not into temptation. And some of this is hard because some of it, we have to admit that this is part of us. We can't blame everyone else. This is us. This is my sinful self being tempted and that that lure that's going by that said, well, oh, I, I think I need that Cape Cod chip. I think I need that. Or like you were mentioning, you know, you find yourself, you know, having a need. So it might be you fill that need with a Cape Cod chip. It might be with a TV show. I mean, but all these things, what is the problem with them? The problem is we're not coming to Jesus with our needs. He said he will meet every one of our needs so it's not what i'm turning to whether it's food or this or that it's the fact that i'm not turning to him and the bible's pretty clear we call these idols just saying okay but i'm not that's a whole nother lesson okay so we are reminded that to be tempted is not sin but to entertain to entertain temptation or to or to surrender to temptation is sin when we bear temptation, sometimes Satan will contemn us for being tempted. Now, that's really like a double whammy, you know? Like, ooh, see? See, you're a bad girl. You really want that potato chip, don't you? You're a bad girl. And then I get all, oh, no. no. <laughs> Let me just tell you that Satan's pretty tricky. Let me tell you, shame is almost from, always from Satan. I mean, it started in the garden, when he's like, hey, you guys have no clothes on. <laughs> and he's been going ever since, pretty strong. Um, so don't get, the whole point is to get to Jesus and, let, and, and get to the way of escape, okay? So here's the story. In a, at a market, a little boy was standing by some candy, looking like he was going to put some in his pocket and walk out the door. A clerk watched the boy for a long time, and he finally spoke to him and said, looks like you're trying to take some candy, the clerk said. And the boy replied, you're wrong, mister. I'm trying not to. (laughs) (laughs) For the time being, he was able to bear it. Um, Okay, so I want to also draw that we've talked about the ways we're tempted. We're talked about the promise that we have in temptation. I want to also correlate that temptation, when they talk about temptation, a lot of times in the New Testament, it's alongside of prayer. Prayer is connected to temptation. So, in fact, let's be honest, this is the Lord's prayer, and he's praying, lead us not into temptation. So there's your first connection. Brown writes, lead us not into temptation is a prayer against being drawn or sucked in by our own will into temptation. And, it, and his translation, which I like it, um, is introduce us not. That's like my translation of lead us around the temptation. Introduce us not. 
Um, this view gives us a subject for prayer in regard to temptation. Most definite of all the others, it's most needful. And it was precisely this which Peter needed to ask, but didn't. When, of his own accord, in spite of the difficulty, he, was pressed for, he pressed for entrance into the palace hall of the high priest, and there was sucked into the scene and the atmosphere of temptation, and he fell so foully. And if so, does it not seem pretty clear that that was exactly what the Lord meant his disciples to pray against when he said in the garden, watch now and pray ye against temptation? See, I'm just saying prayer and temptation. Prayer is that connection to Jesus, so, and it brings Jesus back into the equation. Jesus can fight all our battles. He just needs to get in the equation. Sometimes the, the pipe is blocked by our sin. Sometimes we're just not even paying attention. I have no idea what it is. But let me just say that it's a subject for prayer. In Luke twenty-two thirty-one, 31, Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brother. Let me just say, God the Father answered that prayer. He was sifted. Oh, man, he wept bitterly. He totally blew it that night. He had warning. He had everything, and he totally blew it, and he wept bitterly. Um, but... God's, Jesus' prayer was answered because after he came back, he led the rest of the brethren. Okay, listen to, the, listen to Jesus praying in the garden of Gethsemane. This is Luke 22, later on in that chapter, 39 through 44. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them a stone's throw, and he knelt down and he prayed, saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. See, the cross was Jesus' temptation. It was hard. He was praying for his own temptation, that he would stay strong, that he would not that he would willingly take on the world's sin for our sake. And that was no easy task. And he, want, you know, I mean, he could have just, like, bewitched, did his little nose thing and, like, disappeared and gone up back to heaven. He had that power. But he prayed for himself. Father, if it's you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my why will, but yours be done. And here's the cool part, because I like Matthew's, uh, Luke's translation. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. Because guess what? We have help when we pray. It's, we're just not by ourselves. And he being in agony, he prayed even more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. 
Now Matthew adds in his account, he said, Jesus says to Peter, and this is Matthew 26, 41, and he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter temptation. Here's the part. Because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So we have to realize and just know this, that our spirit many times is willing, but our flesh is so weak. So instead of like looking down on those people that have capitulated and have done wrong things, we should be in prayer because let me just say, there but for the grace of God go I. Okay, so the conclusion, how to win against temptation. Okay, the way to win, I mentioned a little bit, you know, the way to win against temptation, obviously we have to run far and be fleet. But the way to win against temptation is to have a strong offense. You, know, you ever watch sports commentaries? I, we watch a lot of football in our house. So I remember, and you know, they, they're so inane. They just talk about things that like, like duh. And I remember saying, well, you know, we're going to win this game if we can just keep our offense on the field. I was like, well, duh. <laughs> but let me just say, that's about temptation. See, if we are on the offense, then Satan is on the defense, okay? And if we can stay on the offense, if we can be proactive instead of reactive, man, that's huge. See, when I was a guidance counselor, whatever came into my office a lot, whatever those problems happened to be, and, and I would make up some you know, thing, how are we going to solve these problems, yada, yada, yada. And the next year, that would be my theme. Because as a guidance counselor, I just didn't want to meet the kids coming into my office that were having the emergencies. I wanted to equip the kids out there with these skills so they had them, so I didn't get all the emergencies. See, this was all about me again, you know? <laughs> you see what I'm saying? But that's what being proactive is, is seeing that there's gonna be a problem and dealing with it before you're right in the moment of it. And with temptation, that is huge for us. So if you are tempted by something, you know, honestly, move away. If, if you can't, if something is luring you, get as far away, be proactive about this um, with Jesus. Um, okay, so, okay, so, and I said this before, my battle with my Cape Cod chips is really happening at the grocery store. Because if I let it come in my house, there's a good chance I'm gonna fall to that temptation. So don't let it in your house, ladies. Whatever it is, don't let it in. Um, okay, so in how to win against temptations, to do that, we have to go back to the shepherd of our soul. So we're circling back to Jesus being our good shepherd. Because in John 10, I want you to hear what he says. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and they know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. So there's a lot of, this, with the shepherding, there's a lot about knowing, okay? 
Philip Keller writes in his book, why does sheep trust and follow the shepherd? Because, if we look at that verse, because they know him. Why did they know him? Because they spent time with him. They spent time in the presence. And this is true about real sheep. Knowing is not abstract here. You can't trust from afar. Sheep are constantly in the shepherd's presence to see his constant supervision. Sheep might be stupid, and they are, and they can't fight their way out of a paper bag, but sheep can recall the shepherd's faithfulness. So, and that word to know, because he says again, I'm the good shepherd, I know my own, and they know me. That knowing, all this knowing, is the word gnosko, which John MacArthur says, well, first of all, that word is in the present tense. I know my sheep. Like, he knows uh, Amy, he knows you right now. And you know him right now. And he knows his father right now. And his father knows him right now. So we are right here, whatever it is, in this present, in this relationship of knowing. And what is this relationship? Well, this is the same word that's used to denote a husband-wife relationship. It's a very intimate relationship. It's a love relationship. And the simple truth here, John says, is that Jesus in love knows his own and they in love know him and the father in love knows jesus and he in love knows the father believers are caught up in this deep and intimate affection that is shared between god the father and the lord jesus christ so if you're embroiled in all that how is satan going to tempt you what could he possibly offer that competes with that kind of love. What? Because nothing. Because that we were called, to, this is what we were born to do, to love the Lord with all our heart, with all our soul, without our mind, with all our strength, everything. And we are, when we are present with him, we have, we're all of our, we are happy little sheep. <laughs> we're not about, we have everything we need. Okay, so... Let me just say that Jesus, in his high priestly prayer, in John 17, actually prays for this, this knowledge, this thing. He says, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. And I have made known to them your name and will continue to make it known. Why? You might ask. That the love which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So why does sheep trust and follow the shepherd? Because they know him. And how do they know him? Because they spend time in his presence in prayer. Because that's what prayer is. It's that communion with God. So to wrap things up, the unity and the safety from temptation of the people of Christ a lot of times depend on their proximity to the shepherd. How close are you to him? If you're far, you may get all kinds of problems. But if you are following him right behind him, let me just say, I don't think anything's going to come your way. He's the shepherd. He's got the rod. He's got the staff. He's going to take care of you. So um, 1 Peter 2 21 and 25 give us the answer. For to this you've been called, 
because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you may follow. How close are we supposed to follow? In his steps. How many times you, when your kids were little, you'd be at the beach and they'd jump into your steps? That's how close we're to follow him. And he goes on to say, For you were straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd, the overseer of your souls. So the question you might ask is, how long will I be following Jesus and letting him lead? How long? Well, the answer is found in Revelation 7, 17. Because in glory, it says, For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will lead them to the springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So this is a habit that you want to get started on because you're going to be doing it for just a long time. Just saying. So let's close in prayer, and I'm going to pray David's prayer, which is one of my favorite psalms, is Psalms 139 at the very end. And I'm going to close with this, so I'll bow. let's all bow and pray. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me, Jesus, in the way everlasting. Amen? Amen.